On this week's episode of Bet the Process, we recap last weekend's games. We get into a little discussion about Alabama and quarterbacks, and Jeff decides to tell us about a Division Three quarterback. Actually, not even a quarterback, a Division Three player for like five minutes, so you might want to skip that part. We, we go over last week's college football picks, where, which we actually did pretty well, and give our picks for this week. We talk about an interesting mishap at the FanDuel Sportsbook last weekend, talk about Clay Travis and the advice he's giving, and then we move on to the NFL where we recap our picks last week and go division by division looking for value before giving this week's NFL picks. As always, the Vet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Action Network app, which is the best place for you to track your bets. So with that, let's start the process. Welcome to season two, episode four of Bet the Process podcast with myself, Rufus Peabody, and Jeffrey Ma. Ma, <laughs> how, how do I did, I? did I get it right? It's it's only two letters, so it should be easier to say. It's uh, it's not multiple syllables. So when it's not multiple syllables, you should be able to figure it out perfectly. Actually, what's funny is you know my name, which you think would be one of the simplest not to mess up. Um, people constantly, constantly mess up and they say from a, they, they can't spell it is the problem. So they'll always tell me to spell it and I'll be like, M A and they'll say, spell it. And I'll say M A and they'll <laughs> say, what? spell it. M A what? And my, my wife actually has come up with this thing where she always says M A two letters. And it's actually like a pretty, uh, foolproof way to get them to understand what you're saying. But it's annoying to me because she's always like, just say two letters. And I'm like, it's been my name for a lot longer. You think I know how to do this. But <laughs> did she change her name? She did change her name. So she's a white woman rolling around with the last name M.A. Anyways. Pretty cool. <laughs> it's yeah. better than N.A., right? Kevin, Kevin, do you think Kevin Nodgers is like, like N.A., like not applicable? <laughs> she's, he's just like, nah. 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 Mm-mm. Nah. Uh, okay, uh, let's jump into NFL. Uh, sorry, let's jump into college and let's talk a little bit about last week's games. Um, what were some things that jumped out at you? Were there any sort of big movers up or down? I mean, obviously the the kind of big games were the you know two upsets with Auburn um, going down at LSU, um, and obviously. From a future standpoint, um, the Auburn futures that I got at the beginning of the year seem less attractive now. And then um, BYU beating Wisconsin as what, like over a three touchdown underdog. Um, yeah, that is that is sort of epically bad for the Big Ten, I would guess. It's kind of um, funny we that we had BYU so low. Given, I mean, they did beat they beat Arizona week one. And they seem like a team just year in and year out that can pull off some of these big upsets. But I mean, I think I think we were all a little bit too high on Wisconsin. So you know, we'll start with that. Wisconsin it definitely moves down. They move. Um, they they actually BYU only had the 19th best game or best performance of the weekend according to our the Massey Peabody game grades, while Wisconsin was all the way down at number 59. So it wasn't that BYU was incredible. It's just that Wisconsin did not play well at all. Uh, and they drop all the way from 13 to num- to number 18 in the in the ratings this week. So, in general, though, I think things kind of are a little more solidified. You're not seeing these huge movements that you saw in the first few weeks, just because we do have a little bit more data. And I mean, what what, what we really saw is is more separation at the top. Like Alabama played the best game of the weekend by any team by a lot. They were, I mean. 19 points better than anyone else. We basically thought their performance would be nine, beat anybody else by 19 points on a neutral field, which is pretty incredible. And you, you, know, you know what occurred to me, Jeff? That what occurred to you, Rufus? You know why Alabama quarterbacks never win Heisman trophies? Is this going to be like a joke? It's because it sounds like you're setting up a joke. Why don't Alabama quarterbacks ever win Heisman trophies? Because they're always up by like 40 points at halftime, so they just don't have enough playing time. They only play like one half of football. They're starters. 
I mean, that's Alabama's just been that good for so long. That's probably part of it. But also, I think the perception is that it's like a complete system, team system. So they don't. I mean, who who from a talent level would you think would have had a chance over the last few years? Like AJ McCarron, I guess. I mean, he's in the NFL and arguably a borderline has been a borderline starter from time to time. Maybe he could have had the talent to win an, uh, to win a Heisman. Um, I can't, you know, Greg McElroy was an, that, like, these are You're just right. not, well, I, the, I don't think it's just the blowout aspect of things. I think it's just, it's somewhat the system. It's somewhat how you highlight certain players. And, and that's why, like, you know, like when Jalen Hurts played that first game, I remember this so well, first game, against USC and he made some passes and plays as like a, I think, was he a true freshman or red surf freshman? Whatever. He was a freshman. And I remember thinking at that time, Holy crap, Alabama has a quarterback. This is going to be ugly. And, you know, I mean, actually let's, let's see what happens with Tua. Tua looks like he has certainly the talent to be a Heisman trophy winner. He's in what his second year, Certainly, if he comes in next year without any, you know, he he has some Heisman buzz this year, but next year he should have a ton, right? Right, right. And I I think that at Alabama, the quarterbacks don't need to be more than game managers just because they have so much talent everywhere else on the field. I wouldn't say it's like a system. It's just having so much talent everywhere that the quarterback doesn't have to do everything. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess... That's part of the system, though, in some respects, right? It's just this idea of how much you sort of ask your quarterback to do or what sort of like leverage, you know, I don't know. I mean, this is actually really, it's a, it's an interesting discussion, which is like, how do you, like, how do you create a system that really highlights a quarterback to win a Heisman, right? Like, I think you have to, you have to have the quarterback as the star. Right. So the quarterback has to like not hand the ball off and, and run a lot. The quarterback has to throw a lot and the quarterback has to get a lot of plays. So in Alabama's case, right, they're not getting as many plays for a few different reasons. They're probably handing the ball off more than other star quarterbacks because there's great running backs. Um, well, cause so, there's a great so offensive really- line. I would, I would say that's the bigger thing. I think that's more important than their running backs. I mean, have the Fun. running backs really been that great in the NFL? They no, they haven't. They haven't. But they Richardson haven't. was but a massive flop. Like everybody's my, come my out my with point, my point to you is that there's an emphasis on the running game. Yes. And so the argument that we just had, you just proved my argument in some respects, which was the system is that they have a really strong offensive line. They run the ball. So the quarterback just does not have as many chance opportunities to make plays, period. And yeah, their agree. defense is so good that they're not necessarily down in games. So he's not ever playing comeback where he has a huge disparity in, in passes versus runs, et cetera. And maybe that's why Tua st- stood out so much in the national championship game. Because they were actually down. Right. They were down. He wouldn't have made any of these highlight like real plays had they been up. Or, right. He wouldn't have had the opportunity to exactly. make these plays because they would have been handing the ball off more. Exactly. I mean, this is an easy way to see this, right? Is there, what is their, what is their run pass sort of breakdown and split historically versus, you know, some other elite teams that have, you know, gotten Heisman winners. So, I mean, essentially what we're telling you youngins that listen, because we have a lot of hopeful, um, you know, college players that listen to our podcast. So I, I think we're saying if you want to win a Heisman as a quarterback, don't go to Alabama. That's what we're Advice saying, from right? Jeff Ma. Advice from me. Go to MIT. Uh, right? Well, you won't win a Heisman at MIT either because we don't really have a we have a Division three football team that actually has gotten better and better. But it's definitely you're definitely not going to win a Heisman. Uh, do you remember any Division three players that have had a chance to win a Heisman? Do you remember a non Division one player that had a chance to win a Heisman? Hey, just because it hasn't happened yet. It's uh, Gordy Lockbaum. Do you remember this guy? No. Apparently it has happened, huh? No, he didn't win the Heisman, I don't think. He went to Holy Cross in Worcester. 
but he was a true two-way player in college. And that was the the reason that he, you know, they, they made a big deal out of him. And I think he got some sort of like Heisman buzz. You have to look him up. What year, what, what year are we talking? I don't want to say because it's going to make me seem so old. We can Google him right now. Gordy Lockbaum. He was an American college football player who was a standout two-way, both offensive and defensive player. Uh, let's see here. He was 1986. He rushed ah. for 827 yards on 144 carries, caught 57 passes for 860 yards, scored 22 touchdowns. On defense, he had 46 tackles, two fumble recoveries, and one interception. On special teams, he returned 21 kickoffs for 452 yards. Any any scores on special teams? Mm, doesn't look like it. Yeah. Oh, and the senior season was even better. Well, he rushed for 403 yards on 85 carries, caught 77 passes for 1,152 yards, amassing 2,041 all-purpose yards, again scoring 22 touchdowns. I don't like all-purpose yards because they include kick returns. I understand. All-purpose yes, yards. Yeah, he, he seems like he was uh, – that's pretty impressive. He was a two-time All-American, first-team All-American selection as a defensive back also. That's, that's pretty solid. Yeah, he and he also received a degree in economics from Holy Cross. Okay. His son, also nicknamed Gordy, <laughs> played shortstop in the 2002 Little League World Series for the Worcester team that reached the U.S. championship. If you guys can, don't can, know, can you tell me more about Worcester. his lineage? I'm from Worcester, so this is like exciting. To How me. did his parents meet? Uh, probably through Tinder. That's a joke because Tinder wasn't around at that time, Rufus. In case that's when you that's when you do that like awkward. That's when you do that awkward laugh that like it's like you, I can't tell if you really think it's funny or you're just making fun of me. Oh, people make fun uh, of that laugh all the time. Can we move? Can we move okay, to Auburn wait. LSU? Let's do it. Auburn LSU. I didn't actually watch that game, but but you know it, it does have massive ramifications in the playoff picture. Well, mm-hmm. eh, maybe not massive because the the deck the deck as I said. Um, last week is already kind of stacked against Auburn because their schedule is so brutally tough. They have, they're, they're playing Mississippi state on the road, Georgia, I believe on the road and maybe it's, and Alabama on the road. I think maybe one of those is home, but not those last two. Uh, so, I mean, so that's, that's really tough. So they basically already, despite being, I think our number six team going into last week, they, they still only had like a, a 15% chance of making the playoff this point that that drops all the way down to 4%. So they're kind of, you know, they're, they're not in a good spot and, and things aren't really that much better for LSU. I mean, they're up to 8% now, but being in the sec West is just kind of a death sentence unless you're Alabama. Yeah. Um, interesting. Did you know that Todd Furman gave out Georgia as his futures pick on that Fox show? Lock it in. What a coincidence. We gave out Georgia as a futures pick too. We've been giving them out every week of our podcast. <laughs> can I give them out again? Because you can get them at seven to one at the Westgate. They should be four and a half to one. Yeah, you can give them out. Although they're no, Georgia Futures. They're no longer the number one team in the Massey Peabody ratings. They've fallen to number two, a good four and a half points behind Alabama. Wow. So that's interesting. That one game just beating the crap out of a crappy team. I guess Ole Miss is not Ole a Miss? crappy team is the thing. You know, I've They were on the road. Great. On I the road at myself. Ole Miss. Right. I mean, Ole Miss looks right. like a crappy team now because Alabama beat the crap out of them. Right. I mean, they drop from they drop all the way to number forty-six. But just like five. one game like that, one game where it's such a blowout. I don't know. I mean, I guess your numbers believe that it's predictive. Otherwise, you wouldn't change your ratings. But um, just seems like a lot. Yeah, and it's not just based on the score. It's based on how Alabama played. I mean, I get they, it, but it's still just half, right? Forty-two. It's still just one game, right? So it's true, and they, they don't move up like that much. I mean, but they, yeah. I mean, yeah. they moved up four and a half points. That's against, true. That, that's that a is lot. a lot. That is a lot. But they, as you had Georgia as the said, number one team last week, so all of a sudden Georgia, who played a pretty good game against Middle Tennessee State, you know, they they moved down four and a half points versus Alabama. That just seems like a lot to me. But Georgia was the number one team by a tenth of a point or less. So sure, but still four and a half points. Yeah, it's true. But as I said, Alabama was 
like in, in the game grades, they were like so far ahead of everyone else. They were 19 points better than the number two. Got and it. Georgia didn't crack the top 10. How about Washington who had like, you know, I would guess what you would consider to be like not that impressive win because their offense it was mostly done with their defense. Does Washington move up at all? Um, they they see so they had the number eleven game grade there um, against Utah, twenty one to seven win. They they actually moved down once. Actually, who sorry, were your no. top five? Who were your down. top five game they, grades uh, last week? Who were your top? Did five they stay at number nine? The top five game grades: Alabama number one, Temple number two. Uh, Clemson number three, Boston College number four, and Syracuse number five. And then so, for the top ten, we got Oklahoma State, Penn State, Michigan, Texas A and M, and Ohio State. So the in, more in powerhouse the future, teams in the six to ten. In the future, it will be helpful for you to reference who the teams played as part of their game grade. But. Okay, Temple. Yeah, so Temple beat um, beat Maryland badly, right. thirty-five right. fourteen. I think Maryland's Maryland's only two touchdowns were both defensive touchdowns. Right. I know I had the uh, I had the over in that game. It did not win. Clemson uh, beat Georgia Southern thirty eight seven. Boston College only beat Wake Forest by seven forty one to thirty four. I didn't see the game. I haven't looked at the statistics, but obviously they were very impressive in doing so because it's not like Wake Forest is a powerhouse. And then Syracuse destroyed Florida State, who apparently is really bad thirty to seven in a game we both picked. Well, Wake actually scored sort of a meaningless touch, not a meaningless, but they got a touchdown within a touchdown late in that game. Um, and yeah, interesting. Okay, uh, let's move on to our picks. So last okay. week I was two and three. Uh, I had Memphis minus two, 27 and a half over Georgia State, which was a winner. I had Ole Miss plus 21 over Alabama. I don't remember. Did that winner lose? It was probably a close loss, I would guess. Ole Miss. <laughs> and then Syracuse plus three over Florida State, which we both had, which was a winner. Uh, Northwestern minus 21 over Akron, which w- looked great for most of the time. And then all of a sudden they just collapsed and Akron outright won. And then UCLA, who might be a dumpster fire this season, plus one and a half over Fresno State. Not only did I have negative line value in that game, I think it closed um, like plus three and a half or something like that. Um, but it was it was never never in doubt for Fresno. Um, Rufus, 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 tout alert. Yeah. Five and zero, oh, five and zero. Oh. You're you're five Ooh. and zero oh in your last five games. Uh, Miami minus ten over Toledo, big winner. Penn State minus thirty five over Kent. If you remember, that was a disagreement that we had that I, of course, leaned towards Rufus and Penn State won that game. I remember looking up in like the middle of the third quarter and going like, okay, this is going to be close. And then saw the final and I was like, holy crap, that was the can of whoop-ass they opened. Uh, Mississippi State minus 32 and a half over University of Louisiana Lafayette. Winner, Syracuse plus three, we mentioned that. And then Washington minus six, which we talked about, which was a winner. So... Moving on, picks this week. I'm going to start with the Thursday night game, a team that you said played really well last week in game grade, so I feel good about it. I feel like they have been somewhat of an underrated team this year. Temple minus the 6.5 over Tulsa. What say you on that, Rufus? Like it. Although, um, is it 6.5 or is it 7? We we, we need a line check here. I think I saw 6.5. I mean... We're gonna have to uh, yeah, check. Yeah, okay, there's six and a half. It's a, you can get six and a half minus one fifteen in some places, or minus seven, um, even money. William Hill has minus seven plus one hundred. Um, bet Chris has minus six and a half minus one fifteen. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're gonna take it. Okay. What do you have? What do I have? My first pick, or what do I make that line? I, I think that's actually I. I I like your bet, but I'm going to take Michigan State minus four and a half at Indiana. I make that game a a true nine, so there's a lot of value there. I think Michigan State hasn't looked good, but but I think they're a very talented team, and they're a lot better than Indiana. (laughs) That's analysis you can only get on. Great analysis. I'm going to go with Penn State minus 28 over Illinois. Um, Penn State played really well last week, so I'm betting on them again. How about that for analysis? Oh my god. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, UNC plus three and a half against Pitt. 
I think that UNC should actually be a favorite here. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, does UNC get all their like suspended players back? I don't know. I have, I have both, both teams are in like highlighted in orange though. So there's obviously issues with both teams here. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I'm going to go with Navy minus the six over SMU. I think SMU is very bad. And I think Navy um, is, you know, just kind of after the early tough sort of trip to Hawaii and whatnot, I, you know, they're, I think they're just going to run all over SMU. Okay. I'm going to go with, they, oh, yeah. No, there's no more intelligent analysis for me. I'm going to take a, a big favorite Virginia tech laying 27 and a half at old dominion. I think Virginia tech and Virginia tech, by the way, I think is a, is a sort of sleeper for, uh, for the college football playoff. I think there's a lot of value betting on them. And we talked about this yeah. ad nauseum last week. You can get a hundred to one on them at Westgate right now. We're Hokies. We're Hokie fans. Woo, Hokie fans. What's a Hokie? Uh, it's a castrated rooster, I think. <laughs> no, I think that's what it is. <laughs> is it really? I'm not, I'm not sure, but okay. that's what I remember thinking or hearing it was. Uh, USC minus three and a half over Washington State. Hey, what do you what do you think about these my picks? You're supposed any to analysis there? Uh, SC's even though they were bad last week against Texas, their offense wasn't really that bad. And I don't know if you know, but offense tends to be more predictive than defensive performance. So I'm going with um, USC at home against Washington State. I wasn't aware of that. I, I make it. I actually make the line minus six point nine. So I, I kind of agree with you there. Kind of. I kind of do. It sounds like you do agree with me. Kind of do. Um, I'm going to take Texas A&M plus 26 at Alabama. That's one. I mean, Ole Miss is, is number 46. A&M is number 15 in the Massey Peabody ratings. Like, granted, Ole Miss wasn't that bad going into last week. They were number 30. But they were, they were at 20. They closed, I think, as a 23-point home dog. This slide's 26. Texas A&M is on the road. But, but the difference between those two teams is, is quite large. Interesting. I mean, Alabama is, is so good. It, it's kind of crazy. They're, they're a 26-point favorite against a, a, the 15th best team in the country. Like that's, Yeah. I, so I think it should only be like a 20-point favorite. It's, but. it's interesting because I think, you know, if you deconstruct your num- numbers, you have Alabama ranked almost as high as you could based on last week's performance, but yet yep. your number's still like A&M, which just shows you how much inflation there is in this line. So yep. this isn't to say that Alabama isn't going to cover this line, but it's just an interesting sort of meta analysis on your analysis. I like it. Uh, my final pick is Memphis minus 31 over University of South Alabama. As I said last week, Memphis was going to be able to name the score against Georgia State, and I think they'll be able to name the score against University of South Alabama. What, what do you make that line? You probably make it smaller. Uh, I make it right around uh, 30. Okay. So, yeah, I'm leaning the right way. Um, my last one, I'm going to take like LSU minus 20 and a half against Louisiana Tech in one where I just feel like, you know, my gut feeling says this one isn't going to win just because it, it just seems like LSU. It's it's one of these games where Louisiana Tech might win it outright just based on LSU in the past. But, but the numbers like it, and I, my picks are always based on the numbers, so. Yeah, I mean, this is probably one of those where that sort of like letdown factor and historical LSU factor is built somewhat into this line, and that may be why you're seeing value there versus your numbers, right? Yeah, that's true, but but you got Coach O now, right? No more Mad Hatter. Well, it's it's just interesting where value comes from when you think about a lot of these things, and sometimes value does come from these sort of situational factors that that you know may or may not be built into your model in this case it's not right so definitely not that that's why that's why that's coming so okay it's so true. And, and that's why like when, when i actually think about it i mean the bets that the bets that i end up liking um are the ones that intuitively seem like the worst bets but right. those are the ones that seem to do the best so right and that is also bias as you think about it because you've convinced yourself of that. That So you notice That's that true. every time that happens. It's called confirmation bias. Yes, and you are prone to it like every human being in the world. Um, 
Okay, let's move on to sort of our gambling news and hot topic segment. Um, the FanDuel mishap. So the, I think most people that probably are listening to this podcast have heard about this. Essentially, um, a player in New Jersey in gamed, um, who was it? The Broncos and got like some ridiculous price. It was like what? 80 plus 8,500 or something like that. I think it was 75,000 to one or something like that. Or maybe it It was was just just a ridiculous price either way. And the Broncos ended up coming back and winning. So the ticket was a winner when he went to go cash it in. They told him that it was a glitch and it was clearly a wrong price and that they were going to pay him at what they believed to be the sort of market price at that time, which was, I think, plus 500. And they were going to give him tickets to the Giants game and et cetera. And the guy is now sort of suing them and whatnot. Where do you stand on this, Rufus? So I, I tweeted out at first, kind of, I don't want to say siding with the player, just because I think, you know, I don't think it's really good karma to, to do that, what he did. I mean, but but I think that um, I, I do tend to sort of be biased against books because if if a, if I have a mistake in my code and I place all these bets based on that, I don't get my money back. I don't say, hey, there was a glitch in my system and a glitch in my process. Right. Right. So why should they like, you know, it's obviously this is pretty egregious. Um, but then, you know, I, a lot of people replied to me and, and and sort of told me that, you know, in the UK, there's this sort of system where uh, where there's a regulatory body that that can rule if if, some, if there's an obvious mispricing, then that bet gets voided. Um, and I kind of changed my tune a little bit. I was like, OK, you know, this seems reasonable. But but I do think the big thing, like, I think this case is super I mean, it's a super egregious error, first off. But and so I think that kind of color can color your your judgment on this. But but I think it's the precedent it sets, right? It's like what is an obvious error, and not just that, but in a way, um, let's say if that bet had lost, he wouldn't go up and try to cash the t- and say, "Hey, you gave me a you gave me a bet at a bad at a bad price. There was an obvious error here. I want I want that bet to be voided now." Right, so in a way, the book can kind of free roll that that person because they're gonna if you know if that bet gets voided or if it gets paid out at a at a worse price, um, he, you know, he, well, so especially stop, if it gets let, voided. Let's let's stop. Let's, let's let's okay. So here's here's the issue, right? In some respects, right? I think I think we we're all anyone that has ever bet online um, will assume that we know people that have done it. Um, knows that there are mistakes that happen. And they, you know, when you see an obvious mispricing, um, you don't necessarily just jump on it because you realize, like, this is probably going to get voided. This isn't, this isn't going to go through, right? Is that... Right, right. And it's, not good, and it's not good for your long-term longevity at that particular it, book. It's just not it's just not it's just not right because even with your analogy of the models and whatnot, you're you're still not having to put bets up for every game. Another you know, these guys have they're they have a much bigger responsibility. But right, they then do, but you get what's that? No, they I agree they do, but that doesn't that doesn't mean they but shouldn't then, then you, like, have then you safeguards in place. Well so this is my main issue with it. My main issue is that this wasn't an online bet. This was a physical bet where he got a physical ticket for it. And you have to believe that ticket writers that, and I know that these aren't, these are like minimum wage workers or whatever, but you know, you got to be able to look this over and at least say, see whether this makes sense before you actually issue. There's got to be some safeguards in place. Like, and there has to be like some level a buyer beware where you, you shouldn't just be able to say, Oh, sorry, we made a wrong price at any point. Right. So, right. I, I think like it's, it's a difficult question in terms of like, you know, but, but this is like the problem with where we are in the United States right now, the market is so immature that you have people on both sides that are immature, right? If this happened at a Chris or something like that, there wouldn't be an issue. Right, like no, it'd be voided. It would be voided. It'd be voided, and the person who bet it 
would say, would totally understand why it was voided and would basically be like, God, I was hoping that that would slip through, but it didn't. And like, that's, that's life, you know? And the fact that they would end up even paying this guy the plus 500 and trying to give them John, I don't think that would happen at Chris. They probably would just void the whole bet period. However, however, in Las Vegas or in the state of Nevada, that would get paid because in Nevada, uh, tickets go as written. That's the rule. Yeah. Well, Jay, Jay Cornegate think- tweeted about that. And, but you know, I, I've had experience with stuff like this with, well, actually not mistake bets, but where, where I argued that the, the way a bet was written, this, this is like super old prop bets. Um, based on that, my bet actually had pushed rather than lost. So the example was sacks uh, in the Super Bowl. Uh, what, and actually one book graded, was able to like sw- switch my bet to a push because it was graded as a loss in the system. But, but the way the sack bet prop is, sorry, the tackle prop is written at these books uh, says that sacks do not count. And so in my modeling, I was like, okay, I have to deduct sacks now. But I guess what they meant was that sacks don't count extra because in the boss score, sometimes it'll say six tackles, you know, three or sacks. And so they'll, it'll double count. Right. Um, but, <laughs> or not double count, sorry. but This is not but, interesting. I know. Semantics, no, no, like but, but this, this is, okay, this, this is relevant, Jeff, because I, I went up and I talked to Jay Cornegay and I said, like, and, and he understood where I was coming from. He said, he's, they, this has never happened before. He said next year they're going to write it out in a more obvious way, but um, but you know I could take it to gaming if I wanted, but they weren't going to pay out on that. They weren't going to give me the pushback. They paid out all they because they paid out winners to everybody that bet the over. It was on Von Miller, by the way. He had three tackles and three sacks, so I thought my my under three should be a push. Um, I decided not to take it to gaming though because you know what I know that I, I know that that would hurt my longevity at that book, and it's a book that's. A good out to have and i respect generally so it's i don't, yeah. I don't think that guy's gonna be betting at fanduel anymore <laughs> i don't know why you would think that that's interesting it's like such a weird concept that sacks wouldn't count as tackles that's what uh, it said that's the way the prop was written it says sacks do not count yeah but i would to be honest if i were you i would like ask them before before the making the bet Right, right, but it is specifically spelled out on the prop sheet. Sacks do not count towards total. I think that's the way it's written. I, I felt like, and that, that's, right. honestly, that's what Jay told me. I know we're getting, we're getting a little sidetracked here. That's what Jay told me. But I was like, why would I ask? Because to me, it looks so super obvious based on the way it's written. So that we had well, a difference of opinion there. And I under, and a difference yeah, of opinion. Anyways, but the point there is was, like, in, in, to get to Jay's credit, right? That, that's a well-run book. That's yeah. a book that takes sharp action. That's a book that, um, you know, will think about what you said and you're talking to human beings and like, et cetera. I, I don't think we have anything close to that um, in the rest of the world right now uh, or the rest of the U.S. right now. So we we're left with this. If if you were the guy who ran that FanDuel, like, you know, Betfair, I guess, runs FanDuel now, if you were that what what would you have done in that case? I don't know. I I, I don't know what the no. You have to make a decision. What would you? Have no, done? What are the regulations in New Jersey? Let's say the regulations. So you would have done whatever the regulations in New Jersey said. Let's say the regulations in New Jersey are very ambiguous right now because it's a new state with gambling. I mean, honestly, the fact it's eighty two thousand dollars, which is a lot of money, but it's probably it's not a lot to to a book that's going to be generating you know, tens of millions of dollars, well, hundreds of millions of dollars in handle probably. So I, I would actually have paid it out because, you, and, and then you get good publicity from it, I think. Yeah, I think I would have played it out, paid it out just because it was our mistake and there were plenty of opportunities for us. Again, like to me, the difference between like a physical ticket versus an online bet is is a big deal to me. Um, okay, Purdom tweeted about the Rams being the favorite based on um, the futures markets at a couple casinos in Las Vegas. And um, we had talked about this last week, this idea that, you know, a two-sided market, a non-two-sided market doesn't necessarily represent market sentiment. And you're seeing this a bunch more, like I think 
what's his name? Ben Fox did the same thing. And so how do you feel about this? The writers kind of using, you know, the, these futures markets and a couple casinos to talk about sort of what public sentiment or what betting markets are. Do you think it's like useful? Do you think it's a load of crap? Like, should, yeah, we, I th- should we go to bat on this? I think it's somewhere in the middle, to be honest. I think if we were talking about a golf tournament where Tiger Woods is listed as a favorite because the books know everybody's going to bet on him, that's a different story. I I think in this case, the Rams actually should be the favorite for the Super Bowl. But I agree that if it's not a two-sided market, it doesn't mean nearly as much. Yeah, and, and I guess like my point is that there's like this nuance here that... I wish people would sort of understand a bit more um, about this sort of like what the odds to win at one casino that's not taking two-sided action. It doesn't really mean much, right? Like, especially if it's one, because like at some of these smaller casinos, you could get one or two betters that come in and make big bets. And that's not an indication. I I guess just generally like the content that we're generating out of all this shit is just, it's it, it's it's painful to me. <laughs> yeah, I think if 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 all the books had it, if you could say they're the consensus favorite, if if everybody had the Rams the favorite, that makes more sense. But you're right. I I do think that at one book, one bet or two bets, as you said, could totally sway it. So here's what Purdom's, Purdom's tweet. Purdom's tweet was: the Los Angeles Rams are now the favorites to win the Super Bowl at multiple Las Vegas sports books. So I mean that's. That's honest to me, though, because it's it's reporting a fact. They're the favorites to win at those. Yeah, it's fine. Sports books, but but okay, blah blah. Uh, Clay Travis saying Ryan Fitzpatrick at plus thirty three hundred to win the MVP is good value. What say you about that? I say overreaction alert. <laughs> it's just crazy to think about that. You know. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who may not even be starting in five or six weeks, and just this notion that plus thirty, like what what odds would you need to bet on Ryan Fitzpatrick to win the MVP? You know, I don't know, but no, he, but just like he, throw it out. I'll say this. I'll say there's this a number. There's a number. Yeah. Let, let me let's go through it right now. It, it's going to be over a hundred to one. I'll say this though. He's Ryan Patrick is a guy with the track record. He's not, he's not no, like, this is not an, this is not Jared an analysis Goff. of, this is okay, not fine. an analysis of whether Ryan Fitzpatrick is good or not. Right. This is analysis to say like, what odds would you need to bet on Ryan Fitzpatrick to win the MVP? And it's gotta be a lot more than a hundred to one. I'll give you a hundred one right now. You want it? No. So do, I guess, yeah, do you want, do you want 200 to one? Cause I'll give you 200 to one. You know, I'd probably take 200 to 1 because the MVP doesn't always go to the best player, obviously. And and if the Bucks do manage to make the playoffs and Fitzpatrick stays the starter and, you know, he could string together a bunch more really good games just due to variance. Okay, I'll give you 200 to 1. I'll take it. For $10? Sure. Perfect. Um, and, you know, just to go back to, to the one thing, you know, the way that you're right in the end like the way that Purdom repeated reported that Rams thing was probably the right way to do it right and then we can read into that however we want um but I think it's important to note again this this concept of um how misleading non-two-sided markets can be that's all that's all that was my only point so anyway gotcha uh can we move on to the NFL yeah the the real NFL the bonanza the bonanza. The bonanza. Did, you didn't so, listen to last week's pod, right? He put in actual sound effects when we get to the uh, NFL. That's amazing. It was great. It was like okay. Amazing. So it was nice. So Jeff, Pat Mahomes, Pat Mahomes, Pat Mahomes, Pat Mahomes, Mahomes Junior. The second. Me and my Mahomes. He looked pretty damn good. Do you that's think kind that, of an understatement? <laughs> do you think I was too high on it? Too low on him? I mean, I think that's an obvious answer, but. Yeah, where where, where, where does he rate in the where does he rate in sort of the stratosphere of quarterbacks? He's probably the best quarterback ever. I mean, no one's ever thrown for 10, 10 touchdowns in their first two starts. So if you 
straight line projection that he's going to be the best quarterback ever. Done deal. You disagree? No, seriously. No, I mean, where, 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 where do you where do you think it fits in? I mean, he, he basically looked like Deshaun. Well, Deshaun Watson. What did he have? Like a bunch of touchdown passes in his first two starts, but he didn't have. He didn't quite have it. I mean, I, I think, I think you have a situation with Mahomes where you have some really good playmakers, right? You have Tyreek Hill, who is pretty amazing, and you have Travis Kelsey, who is and certainly an elite tight end, and you have you know this this sort of like special talent with Mahomes from a physical standpoint. I think where you wonder about him or or where where you know what your numbers say is like what happens, you know, he has, he has not faced very good defenses yet. Um the Chargers were thought to have a pretty good defense, but even last week against Buffalo, they I think they gave up 250 yards to Josh Allen. So well, garbage time yards. Still still yards, yards count. Yards count. I mean, but that was like, you know, are, are you ready to say that the Chargers have an elite defense? You know, no, I don't think so. I haven't actually looked at what, where I so rate my, them. My point is that we were overreacting to two games against two bad defenses. And um, Wait, I'm willing to say the Chargers have an above average defense, though. Okay. Just, so one above average. Um, so he's made two, let's say, above average to below average defenses look terrible. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think he's probably overrated right now because everyone thinks he's amazing. So I would say that, you know, there's probably still some value on going against Kansas city. Um, Spoiler alert. I think he will be later. Uh, But um, you know, again, like can't overreact to two games. Um, He's looked amazing he clearly has a lot of physical talent and i think when you get into a situation where people see more game film on him and have an ability to to like try to take away some of the things he does we'll see how good he really is so where where would you put him like in sort of the discussion of best quarterbacks in the league like who are his comparables are you talking about like if I were starting a franchise today? Are you ta- no? Are you talking about if I started right a franchise today? No, no, no. So for I'm the, talking about how good he is right now. For the rest of the season, who would I want? Oh, for like next week. Next week, who would I now? Want? I want. I want how good he is now. Who is he? Um, I would still like, take like Breeze in front of him. I would still take Rogers in front of him. I would still take. Brady in front of him. I, w- I mean, I hope so. Yeah, I would. I would probably put him in the five to ten range right now. Okay, so so that's so to me. I was gonna say that I think uh, that I disagree with you. I don't think people are are overreacting that much. I think that he's actually shown quite a lot. And in the Massey Peabody ratings, the char- the sorry, not the Chargers, the Chiefs are, are number six in in offense. And actually, the number six in my individual player level model too. And in that model, uh, he's up in he's behind that sort of the the top tier of quarterbacks of Brady, Rogers, Breeze, Matt Ryan. But he's in that sort of next tier of of Russell Wilson, Philip Rivers, Kirk Cousins, Ben Roethlisberger. He fits think, right in there. I think that's I think that's where I'd put him. So yeah, so so I guess this does show that there is some signal, and that just because I was low on Deshaun Watson doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be low on every quarterback after a few starts. Um, okay. That's yeah. good. I mean, that's good that your system learns. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, what about the return of Carson Wentz? What does that mean to you? You know, I think Wentz, by the way, Wentz isn't even in that sort of, I, I think Mahomes is a better quarterback than Wentz right now. Oh, uh, that's that's some bullshit. I take Wentz over. Wentz, Wentz is, what's his Wentz, career completion percentage? Like sixty-one percent, right? Not even. I don't know. His numbers aren't amazing. His numbers are not amazing. He's he's one though. You're, and he's, you're like a spreadsheet nerd. Wentz is really exactly. Good. I'll take my Wentz, spreadsheets. Wentz, like, dude, Wentz is good. I I didn't like want to like Wentz, but Wentz is good. I would uh, take Wentz over your uh, over Mahomes personally. Okay. I mean, I think Wentz is worth three and a half points over Foles. So it's, it's a big, it's a solid boost for Philly. Foles is not a great quarterback. 
I would think the that. lines makers would probably think that that was an underestimate. Really? Yeah. I think the, the general perception is that Wentz is worth a lot more than that over Foles. 3.3 points is a good amount. And Foles is a guy well, with how much quite is, a lot of how much is Aaron Rod- How much is Aaron Rodgers over last, last year Brett Hundley? A lot more than that. But right. Hundley is very different than Foles. Like, do you want to know what Rodgers is worth over Kaiser right now? I'll, sure. I'll pull that up. Let's see. Do a little math. Eight points. Great. Right. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, we got to... I am in a world where my team lost the Super Bowl to Nick Foles, so we can talk about how great he is um, as much as we want. Do we want to do a quick trip around? Do we have a... Let me check to see if we have futures, futures land prices on the actual... Uh, divisions, which was sort of fun to run around last time, more, more, much more fun than um, the whole the whole caboodle. So, I agree. Um, and we we got some, you know, like we got some good value on those. If anyone had actually placed those, which I hope they did, there was some good value on those. Like Jacksonville looks like really good value now to win their division, right? Oh yeah. Um, after beating the let's see NFL futures, here we go. Uh, yeah, we got divisions, so let's do a quick division trip. Uh, AFC East. Um, assuming, is there any value on the Dolphins at plus five seventy three? Win the division? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm making twenty eight percent. Wow. 20%, and that's using 20% is using a um, sort of a, the blended model. I'm actually integrating my player level ratings for this. Um, just with the pure Massey Peabody, it's actually up to th- it's 38%, which seems. What about the Jets? Nice. The Jets, what, what, what are they listed at? Plus, plus a thousand. Yeah. I mean, there's a little value 10.1%. Okay. So Dolphins, AFC North, Bengals are plus 210, Ravens are plus 225. I think value on the Bengals there. They're two and zero, thirty-seven percent to win it. So that's solid value. Yeah, we had them. We had them at the beginning. I think what at like over six, six, six to one or seven to one or something like that, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jacksonville minus two twenty now. I'm assuming there's no value. No value there. They're they're sixty-three percent. Um, what I guess about Houston? The only ten percent. Titans fourteen percent. So basically, after Jacksonville, there's a cluster. Got it. Okay. Ten and fourteen. Broncos were our bet before in the West. Um, what are what do you have them at? Thirty one. Thirty one percent. Okay. And what do you have the Chiefs at? Chiefs are the leaders right now, forty percent, and the Chargers are twenty four percent. So they're the Chiefs are even. They're minus one hundred six, and the Broncos are plus three thirty three. Wow. Plus three thirty. That's that. That's value right there. Yeah. Um, Cowboys. Um, NFC East. Giants. Or, or, let, let me guess. Are, are the Eagles? The Eagles are a favorite. Are they better than even money? They're minus one seventy five. Yeah, that they're that's way too high. You like the Redskins at plus six hundred? Oh yeah, twenty four percent for the Redskins. Hail to the victors! No, that's. That's Michigan. Wait. Sorry, damn it. What's the Redskins theme? Hail to the Redskins. Hail to the Redskins. <laughs> very, very hard to figure out, I know. I don't know why they make these things so tricky. Pronounce okay. the last name. Uh, Vikings minus 133 for the North NFC North. Ooh, I make them 59%, so marginal value, yeah. Okay. My guess is no one else has value then. Probably not. Uh, NFC South. That's an interesting one. Yeah, I is there value on the Saints now? Plus two forty eight. Plus two forty eight. I make the Saints thirty one percent, so a little bit. How about? But there's what's Carolina? Carolina twenty percent. They're plus four eighty five, so there's value there, yeah. right? Uh, what is Tampa listed at? Because I still have Tampa is last at nineteen percent. However, I have Tampa up to eight point three projected wins. So every single team in that division is projected to win between eight point three and nine point two games. Okay. Pretty tight. Moving on. Moving on. Uh the we we should talk about 
a futures bet that we did not do well on, which was the Seahawks uh, to win the what? West. And now the Rams are minus 805. It's crazy. The I Rams mean, I, are everyone's darling right now, it looks like. So maybe Purdom's stuff was indeed correct as a leading indicator of the way the world is moving. I would still take no on the Rams if there was if I could get a, a price there. Let's say plus six hundred. Yeah, that's what uh Joe Brennan uh tweeted in that that you could get that on Betfair. The no was like plus a little over plus six hundred. Oh, was it division? I thought he was talking about for like oh i think he was talking i think he was talking about the super bowl he was saying he would lay like minus 825 or something like that i have no idea which i actually wouldn't do i don't think i make i make the rams 12 percent to win it all pretty high wow higher than the patriots higher than the vikings well then by the way super bowl futures then oh rams are plus 466 yeah any rams value is gone I'll give you uh, one favorite I like for that for in terms of Super Bowl value, and that's the the Vikings at ten to one. They should be plus eight seventy. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I they like they, they thoroughly outplayed Green Bay last week, despite losing or despite tying, I should say. Yeah. Which but which was a, which the best possible outcome for me because I have both teams under in season wins. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. I can't believe the Dolphins are have value now to win the AFC East. That just seems like sacrilege. I mean, the Patriots win it every year, don't they? They they do. They figure out a way to do it. And that's like an interesting thing, right? This sort of like overreaction to the Patriots' loss. Um, they always seem to lose early like this. Um, I talked once to Teddy Bruschi when we, I was working with ESPN. And he was like, you know, the first four games of the season for Belichick are just like an experiment. He doesn't really care about winning or losing. He basically just wants to try as many things out as he can to learn. And then after that, he really goes into things. That's that's why that happens. That's really interesting. So, that's I mean, because it does seem like they're always a better second half team. And I think the numbers bear it out. Well, well but if it, it kind of makes if, if you think about it from an analytics standpoint, right, if you're really willing and especially in a game like football, that's so. There's so many moving parts, right? If you were really like, I one time talked to, I think Mike Zarin and um, Daryl Morey about just the concept of lineups and like being data driven as a coach. Name and drop. They were saying, it's not really a name drop. I mean, they're both friends of mine. It's not like, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. Is that, is that, they're, a, they're, just, they're, they're just people. They're just human beings. A, yeah. Just like that you one and more me. step. Yeah, exactly. But anyways, the point was, they were saying like a truly data-driven coach would, you know, basically just experiment with lineups to understand like causally, like what the impact of different lineups were together. And so in some respects, maybe that's what Belichick does. He's like doing causal experiments of, of different things so that he can learn, you know, going forward, what he needs to do in the remaining sort of eight games or 12 games or whatever so the first four games he can use to just do experiments do you think that's what matt patricia is trying to do maybe 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 matt patricia is playing another game that we all don't know because i don't know if you know he was a rocket scientist he was yet he yeah. forgot it's which like team literally 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 a rocket scientist literally yeah he should stick to rockets maybe not figuratively literally like rockets anyways yeah. you, you, okay. know, you know what the, you know what they say jeff Rockets life- aren't footballs. Who says that? I say that. And also, you, I think that's like a fact. I don't think that's an opinion. That. Um, are the Dolphins underrated generally? I mean, is that a narrative that we can talk about? They're 2-0. You know, they were a reasonable team two years ago. They lost Tannehill. We all know how important the quarterback position is. They get Tannehill back. Are they like a reasonable dark horse now? I mean, I have them as a slightly above average team. They're pretty balanced. They're pretty, yeah, a little above average on offense and defense. I mean, in like of the, middle of the pack. The perception going into last year, two years ago was that, and even at the end, was that Adam Gaze was kind of a genius, right? He was the one that made Jay Cutler who he was in, in Chicago, et cetera. Um, Jay Cutler. I'm not sure that's what you want to the example. But Jay you want Cutler. To use. Jay Cutler had a good year in Chicago when Gaze was his offensive coordinator. Yeah, he 
He did. He did. Go look up the numbers. No, no, I know. So, you know. <laughs> it obviously didn't, it didn't, it wasn't sustainable. Didn't carry yeah, on after he I mean, left. There's only so much you can do with, well, with, it's like lipstick on a pig. He also had Jay Cutler last year. How did that work out? Yeah, but that was, Jay Cutler was one year older then. So, yeah. And he wasn't the offensive coordinator. When you're like the actual head coach, you have to do much different things. And you should do much different things. Uh, okay. Uh, moving on to picks. Let's do um, it. Last week, I had, I, last week I went two and three. I'm kind of annoyed about the Minnesota one, but who knows what the line would have really been when I, when I got that bet down. But Cincy minus one over Baltimore, which was a winner. Pitt minus four over KC, which we both had, which was a big loser. Tampa plus three over Philly, which was a big winner. Seattle plus three at Chicago, which I contend, if it wasn't for that pick six, Seattle actually, like the, the general perception was that Chicago dominated that game. But a, a lot of those numbers were pretty equal with the exception of that sort of pick six that that sort of sealed their doom. And then the Saints minus eight and a half over Cleveland, um, which was my late add. Um, then you had Carolina. Pl- you were uh, two and three also. We're really wonderful at the NFL. Uh, Carolina plus the six at Atlanta, um, which was a loser. Pittsburgh minus the four versus KC, loser. Arizona plus 13 at the Rams. Arizona is officially the new Cleveland um, Dallas minus 13 versus the Giants, which was a big winner, and Detroit plus the six at San Francisco, which was a nice backdoor winner. I so, just want to say, though, Jeff, you, you realize our, our NFL picks are technically up a little. I mean, we're, we're 10, 9, and 1 combined between us, which yes. is 52.6%. You're yes. 6 and 4. I'm 4, 5, and 1. Yes. We're, we're, we're much better at, the, at college football, though. Well, but people don't I, pay us. You're 5 and 5. People I'm 9 and 1. People, I'm I'm nicely hovering around 500 and everything, so I'm basically a pay your pay the juice kind of guy. 55 percent is not hovering around even. 55 percent is solid. Okay, let's move on. So this week's picks, um, I'm going to start with the Jets on Thursday night plus the three over Cleveland. Um, Cleveland, the perception is that they are a lot better this year, but offensively, they're actually at four point yards per play, which is the fifth worst in the league. A lot of that is bogged down by how poorly they played offensively against Pittsburgh. We've seen that Pittsburgh, and, and part of that might have been that that weather conditions in that game. So, but I just I, I just don't see a reason that this line. I think Jets are probably a better team. So hard for me to not think that Jets plus three is value. Interesting, and I think it's fun. It's it, it's funny to note that Cleveland was actually a favorite despite not having won a game since 2016. Yeah, it's and crazy. I guess having one win since 2015. I, and uh, I I was tempted to take that game. I, I make the line um, plus plus one, so it barely missed the cut. Got it. My first okay. one is going to be New Orleans plus three at Atlanta, which is. Mostly about priors and the fact that I don't think New Orleans has played nearly as poorly as people think. I th- I still think that they're an elite team in the NFL. And a better team than Atlanta, basically. Yes. Atlanta is not an elite team. Got it. Okay. Uh, next. Uh, Philly minus the six and a half um, at Indy. Uh, Wentz, I think. I think we are undervaluing Wentz a little bit in this situation, and um, I think Philly wins this game by over a touchdown. Okay, I'm going to take the Redskins plus three. It's juiced uh, against at home against Green Bay, which I think the Redskins, despite despite losing at home to Indy, their numbers did not actually look that poor, and uh, in Green Bay they. Tied, but they were thoroughly outplayed by Minnesota. They, Minnesota actually had two and a half yards per play more than Green Bay did after adjusting for home field. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. Uh, okay, uh, my next is uh, Seattle minus the one and a half over Dallas. Uh, I mentioned that I don't think so- Seattle played quite as poorly as everyone thinks they did. 
on Monday night. And um, in the typical talking head parlance, this is a must-win game for Seattle. I think they win. Okay. I think my next pick, I don't think they're going to win, but I'm going to take Buffalo plus 16 and a half at, at Minnesota. Is Buffalo the new Browns or is Arizona the new Browns? I, I think I, it's got to be Buffalo. Okay. But I don't know. At least the, the Browns in the past kept games close and just, just did things like threw interceptions in the end zone and, and figured out ways to lose. Buffalo hasn't even come close, but Maybe they're breaking all my models. I don't know. Maybe they're just so bad that that I cannot model them properly. Maybe they're at the extreme. But I, I make the line fourteen point four. The player level model makes it thirteen. So there, there's a little value there. I'm gonna take it. And, and I, honestly, I do like taking these big big underdogs. It feels like I, I'll at least know that I haven't lost yet for you know maybe half of a quarter. That was very complicated, but it was your way of giving yourself, making yourself feel better about life. Right, uh, when, like when when Minnesota scores their first touchdown, I'll be like, "It's okay," you know. Okay, Cincinnati plus the three at Carolina, like the underdog there. Uh, just think, since he's better than Carolina, and um, really? I do. You think since he's better than Carolina? I do. I do. I like Carolina a lot. Just they, their defense has not been very good so far this year. So we shall see. We shall. From the yards per play standpoint, they've actually been below average this year. Carolina. Yeah, but there's been two games. I know. I know. What did you tell me earlier about the, in this podcast about the predictiveness of defense versus offense? I, I only talk about that when it's convenient for me. Smart move. Out, it's like process over outcome unless the outcome is good. Mm-hmm. Okay, San Francisco plus six and a half at Kansas City. You were right that I will be betting against uh, Mahomes. <laughs> I make that uh, plus 4.4. Probably just classical overreaction to the first two games. And then I'm going to go with my last pick, an ugly one. It's actually minus one now. So can I get minus one, pit minus one in this game? I saw minus one. You can get, you can get pit minus one. I'll, give yeah, it I'll take Pitt minus one. Um, you know, the narrative right now is that Pitt is uh, a biz- in, a, in a huge mess. Um, but we mentioned they really didn't play that bad against Cleveland. Um, and, you know, last week ran up against God. You can't beat God. God's, God's goal is going to win. So I'm going to take Pittsburgh to win that game. Interesting. You took Tampa last week. So you really just like Pittsburgh a lot? Or do you think Tampa is not as good as they've shown? I think Tampa's good, but I like Tampa in a slightly in the the two roles that they had leading up to that, right? I mean, they had, they were getting close to double digit points, right? Against New Orleans. Um, I think there was nine and a half, 10 or 10, depending on when you got it. And then they were getting three points against the Philly team whose offense was sort of abysmal. So I don't know. I just I feel like this is a, a you know a good spot for Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh's probably a better team. So for sure. So that's that's my thinking. Okie dokie. My last pick is going to be Arizona plus six uh, at home against Chicago. Yeah, I'm taking all the worst teams in the league. It seems like well, the, <laughs> the, the, the two shitty. worst teams, Arizona and Buffalo. Can you do a shitty team parlay, Arizona and Buffalo? I don't know, but do you know what's interesting is there was a book last week that would take like, um, oh yeah, like under the freaking water casino. Yep. No, no, no. You could parlay Seattle um, plus four and a half on Monday night with Arizona plus four and a half this coming Sunday, which is definitely correlated, right? Seattle. Okay, so Seattle played Chicago last Monday night. Arizona played right. Chicago this Sunday. <laughs> Had Seattle cover that four and a half. It's likely they played well and their rating would would get better, right? right? Or sorry, it's likely that Chicago's rating would get worse. So, yeah, which would make the air, which would give their give the give the Arizona bet more value. Whereas right. in reality, you know, Chicago won, they covered, and in the Arizona side now has less value. Although it doesn't matter since 
you know, it was a parlay loses because of the first leg. You're making my head hurt. Thinking yeah. about the value here. It hurts. Uh, okay. Well, that's what we got. We got your picks this week and we got, um, hopefully Rufus goes five and zero again in college. And hopefully I go right around 500 and everything because I'd like to just stay centered right around 500 this year. Jeff, we should see, we should see if there's a, uh, if there's an overreaction to my five and oh, if we, if once we release the podcast, if, if people bet these things and the lines move. <laughs> the seven people that listen to our podcast yeah. are going to go move lines. Got it. Okay. Thanks guys. Uh, with that, um, we'll see you next week. <laughs>